Hello, my name's Eric. And I'm Rissa. And this is Film Chatter. just gave me the middle finger y'all um (laughs) (laughs) which is gonna give a hint about what our episode is but hey hey guys uh i'm marissa and i'm joined with my ever ready co-host middle finger firing (laughs) co-host eric um and this is film chatter and for any new listeners out there um we bring you the classics hidden gems cult contemporary more every two weeks so we welcome you guys hey hey what's up and Eric, what is our topic today? Our topic is Mohawk, tatted up, <laughs> middle black, finger wielding, middle finger punch a denim, you know, old person in the face. <laughs> We're talking <laughs> punk. We're talking <laughs> punk. <laughs> punk films, or really, aka going against the establishment. That's um, right. Yes, which is also punk. Um, but yes, I don't know, Eric. Uh, How do we define this? How do we? <laughs> How do we define this? Um, I don't know. I I define it as like a movement, a philosophy. You want to know but, what I think? What do you think? I think defining things is not punk. <laughs> it's overrated. <laughs> fuck, it's overrated. Fuck this shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's the episode. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, you're right. That's not punk as fuck. Um, no, no, so- <laughs> born in born in flames is in fact punk, actually. Oh, I know. Seriously, going back to our first episode, uh, for anyone who who didn't know, but honestly, I think that first episode that we did was really punk as fuck. That was. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Not even just Lizzie Borden and and Born in Flames, but like uh, just the overall. So I, I feel like all those directors had like a punk you know, ethos to them. And that's because they were so. all in the spirit of independence and we're yes. doing things yourself and yeah, you why? Know, against the grain, you know, no one's going to stop you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is very much uh, in the punk spirits. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you, uh, do I have a do definition? Bre- <laughs> or do you want to break down uh, like punk, punk further than that a little bit? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, consider me a newbie in the realm of punk. I, growing up, uh, I'm not scared to say it. I was always way too intimidated to learn, get involved. I, cause you know, everybody's got the preconception about punk, right? Like, you know, it's just like this, you know, like very aggressive people, yada, yada, like none of that. And vandalism. Honestly, yeah. Vandalism, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, mm-hmm. fighting, moshes, you know, whatever. Anarchy. Yeah. All these preconceptions. Yeah. And I gotta say. Those are bad stereotypes, yeah. Bad stereotypes. But Mm -hmm. not only just digging more into the punk scene, what makes Mm -hmm. things punk, what the philosophies of punk, but also watching these films. Oh, my God. I think I want to be punk. And that's just not (laughs) punk either. But consider me. Hear this first. (laughs) (laughs) Consider me in, you know, total respect, admiration of the punk scene because I absolutely think it's incredible. Um, it's so much, so much more than the preconceived notions, uh, the societal notions, you know, taboos Mm -hmm. against it. Oh my God. So much more to this that we'll get into with these films. But Mm -hmm. tell me, Marissa, what is it about punk that 
actually drew you to pick this topic for our show today. <laughs> That's right. I did. I did choose this topic. I don't know. It's always specifically punk in films has kind of always been like intriguing to me because they're clearly um, there's there's obviously a lot of films that could be considered punk films, and I feel like I really haven't. It's uh, like a glaring omission in my like in movies I've seen. So I was just like, well, I don't really feel like I've seen a lot of punk films, you know. Um, but something in my viewing that I've taken away from is, you know, we talk about the spirit of punk. Well, like if I break it down further, um, it seems like it's a like an ideology that really puts like at maximum volume everything that society prefers to keep as a whisper. Mm. To break right. it down yeah and even even like the minorities like oppressed like and those like silenced by like more like male and physically like brutal nature which is like the more like first wave punk um punk rock um i think that that's why i like this stuff so much is because it's like the oppression from like these you know these people it's like a way of them self you know self-expression right because at the oppression of these people like I don't know it's just like trying to like break out you know scream out like into like who they, who they are how to express themselves yeah it's something that's so counter to the um individualistic uh aspects of of our society it's mm -hmm. because when you're when you're in that punk scene it's like the guidelines are our community it's a it's like a community-based mm -hmm. totally. uh, mentality you mm -hmm. know you're in this community of people like-minded who are feeling the same, who are either, you know, feel the same or they are the same as you or they're similar. And, you you know, you are the people that society does not want to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, you're always on this counter. You're always like reflecting or, or rejecting, you know, the people that reject you, you mm -hmm. know, and I think that that it's always a counter in order to be in the punk spirit. It's always counter to what is accepted and and powerful at the time you always have to be in the opposite of that you always have to be on the margins mm -hmm. and there's something interesting about that that i thought with these films that i picked today which is that you know you can be punk but how does something interesting about punk and and i think it's a very like temporal spirit because you can be punk for a short time but i think that that thing that that no matter what you do when you're punk you kind of always teeter out of it. You're mm -hmm. old, like you can be in it, but at some point, I think it leaves everyone, which is interesting. And there's a film that's a really good example of that. Like, like can something that is punk stay punk? And I don't mm. really think so. I think punk's like this temporal time. Like you gotta like, like it's a time in your life. It's not really your essence, your being. You know, you kind of join in it. It's like a wave. You go mm -hmm. through it, and then you know you come out the other end, and it leaves you. So we'll get more but into that though. That's an interesting uh, way of looking at it. I, you know, you talk about like something that goes through you, but also how about this? Um, because one of my films in particular, um, I'll mention, uh, has to do very much of like the surroundings about like around it. Mm. So also not only is it a form of like, you know, self-expression, which is very much, very much a punk ethos is that also it has to do with your surroundings too. And I would say that like places like, you know, old Times Square, like in the like 70s and 80s, that was, that area was like punk as fuck. Like, especially with like places like, you know, CBGB, 
you know, those places where uh, a lot of these bands were performing, like, you know, the Ramones and stuff like that, or like the Bowery was a very much like a punk place. Um, also like in one of my favorite movies, like After Hours, like uh, that one scene where like that punk, <laughs> that punk bar, that, that was in the yeah. 80s, that, that showcased how New York was around that time. Um, and LA was very much like that too, uh, also yeah. like during that time. But we talk about changing spaces is that there was this whole clean up, clean up Times Square initiative. Basically, the New York that was then no longer exists now. I think a lot of us know that now. And that's just due to gentrification, really. So it's like a cleaning up of basically who lived on Times Square during this time. I mean, a lot of the gay scene, basically, a lot of like pimps, you know, there was this, there's so many, you could say like minorities, you know, people of all kinds of quote unquote, you know, it's like oppressed people. And as these more higher ups, you know, the establishment, the man, you know, is them cleaning up the city is basically a way, you know, the clean initiative that erases all of that history then that erases like self-expression then. So that's basically that's an erasing of punk of the punk spirit is that's what you can call it. Yeah, it's well Mm -hmm. put. It's like a. It's like a fire you know so intense mm-hmm. as it as it burns but eventually it that burns looks, bright yeah it burns bright and it burns out you know damn the and man damn <laughs> yep and because and it's because the man we we call it the man but you know really kind of what it is in a social in a in a associate you know social term is mm-hmm. power that mm-hmm. that power you know yeah, i power. i like to imagine power as like a fist just kind of beating down and so like beneath it is is you know all these people that are that are uh, rejected outside the margins. And mm-hmm. that's really where the punk scene begins, under the fist of, of the establishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and by community against this, you know, sort of individualistic, uh, you know, we'll call it a capitalist society, mm-hmm. is, is this, you know, a, a sort of communal group of people who prioritize the group more than themselves. And that's what gives mm-hmm. them power. And that's what mm-hmm. scares people at the same time. Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, of course they have the power to cause, you know, riots. And of course they have the power to cause, you know, that's that's their power. Because when mm-hmm. you're a community, that's what you can come back with. You know, yes. fight that individual mindset. No, that's a really good way to put it, Eric. Yeah, yeah. I also want to bring up another aspect because this um, this occurred in, in two of my films is also um, two of these movies that I'll be talking about, they predate the Riot Girl movement with like Bikini Kill and, and Kathleen Hanna and all that stuff. But um, two of my films have very much to do strongly about female friendships mm. and just about like feminism and punk rock in general. Yeah. So I thought, and those both predate, like I said, the, the Riot Girl movement. So I don't know. I just thought it was very cool how, um, because you know, within anything, any kind of movement, there's always going to be, you know, like a probably male-centered or patriarchal, you know, we know that, um, white, you know, white male-centered, but like, uh, so it's nice to see different aspects, so specifically with these punk films that I chose, especially two of them, um, that even, you know, you're talking about like communal, community space, the thought of female friendships, that's, that's very much outside of like, 
you know, the norm too of like just, you know, individual, individualistic, you know, capitalism lies community and community is very powerful and strong. So I get it, you know, power likes to crush communities and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I did like that aspect that uh, feminism was tied with, uh, with the punk scene as well. Do you consider that the punk scene uh, has, you know, misogynistic tendencies mm -hmm. and, you know, is, is pretty oppressive towards women sometimes? Some, some groups of punks are, mm -hmm. um, just like how there are racist punks and xenophobic punks as well, mm -hmm. um, which uh, a, a movie of mine actually really good commentary on that. Um, if you consider that, then feminism and, and, and the idea of women coming together in the punk scene is a definitely a punk aspect because you have, again, a group of people coming underneath, you know, the fist, you know, a, a ball, a, a fist oppressing them and coming mm -hmm. together and being able to fight back. Like there's nothing more mm -hmm. punk than that, you know? Yeah. That's like the spirit. So uh, that, you know, realized it makes, you know, it's, it's kind of like the perfect punk is like the perfect thing to find in, you know, feminism in and strengthen. Mm -hmm. um that movement so yeah i'm really excited that that you're bringing some of those films today i know that um i was looking into your films beforehand kind of never seen them yet but mm -hmm. i did notice that there was a lot of the you know sort of the female side as always marissa yeah hello <laughs> so thanks for and always bringing i'm gonna that. try yeah i'm gonna try and i think it ties back to like episode one you know it does it ties back to episode one and like that book liberating hollywood and just like i'm like you know what it's it's always about digging deeper behind a certain movement, right? Mm. Or a certain like his history aspect. So it's nice to dig deeper. But I also want to touch on something, Eric. I think me and you, our films have this in common as well. A lot of our movies have to do with coming of age aspect, huh? Oh, no and, doubt. Yeah. And like, and um, and actually uh, dis disillusioned youth, if you think about it this way. Like mm. actually all of my movies, if I think about it, all <laughs> revolve around like teenagers. I'm interested. Disillusioned youth. So like, like, what do you like, what exactly is, is the, is the speech there? Like, like, what are you trying to say with that? Mm, you could, I mean, there's many, there's many like aspects you could call this under, like specifically one of the movies that I rented um, at this, at my local video store it was actually, it was actually under the troubled youth section. <laughs> mm, oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really like that term. Um, I don't know. I think dis disillusioned is, is a little bit uh, better. Like troubled, troubled youth, I think implies that they're all like troublemakers, but I think disillusioned is that like the disillusionment of the society that we live in kind of thing is mm -hmm. these teenagers. And that goes, that goes tying in with like the authority, you know, the establishment. In a lot of these movies, the authority lets them down in many, many ways. So I guess that's the disillusionment is that, hey, life, life sucks for these teenagers because the authority does not make it easy for them yeah. so, to live their lives as they see fit, going back to self-expression. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're definitely keying in on these, on the, on the, on, you know, aspects of these films for sure. I, I have a lot to say about that mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, I mean, one of my films even the title just gives you an idea of like okay how the whole you know system of the american dream is just like it is is constricting kids literally to get mm -hmm. out of their homes and to leave and and to live this alternative lifestyle that mm -hmm. they find happiness in so and which is um yeah i'll get more into that later i gotta save it for that for that segment but <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah save save the goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before we give more spoilers of our picks away, why don't we uh, 
jump right into it unless there's more to say for these punk films. No, no, I think we can jump right into it. You sure? Yes. Go All for right. it, Eric. Film number one is uh, kind of a funny pick um, because you're talking about a lot of these coming of age. Well, this one is a coming of age, but it's so much it's so much more comedy. And I was oh, not okay. expecting I I <laughs> not expecting to love this one as much as I did because uh -huh. um, it just seems like a silly concept. Mm -hmm. uh, this is SLC Punk, released in 1998, directed by James Marandino. The fight. What does it mean and where does it come from? An essay. Homo sapien, a man. He is alone in the universe. A punker, still a man. He is alone in the universe, but he connects. How? They hit each other. Ooh, no clear way to evaluate whether or not you're alive. Now, complications. A reason to fight. Somebody different. Difference creates dispute. Dispute is a reason to fight. Now, to fight is a reason to feel pain. Life is pain. So to fight with reason is to be alive with reason. Final analysis. To fight, a reason to live. Problems and contradictions. I'm an anarchist. I believe that there should be no rules, only chaos. Fighting appears to be chaos, and when we slam the pin of show, it is. But when we fight for a reason, like rednecks, there's a system. We fight for what we stand for, chaos. But fighting is a structure. Fighting is to establish power. Power is government, and government is not anarchy. Government is war, and war is fighting. The circle goes like this. Our redneck skirmishes are cheaper versions of conventional warfare. War implies extreme government because wars are fought to enforce rules or ideals, even freedom. But other people's ideals forced on someone else, even if it is something like freedom, is still a rule, not anarchy. This contradiction was becoming clear to me in the fall of 85. Even as early as my first party, why did I love to fight? I framed it, but I still, I don't understand it. It goes against my beliefs as a true anarchist. But there it was. Competition, fighting, capitalism, government. The system. It's what we did. It's what we always did. Rednecks kicked the shit out of punks. Punks kicked the shit out of mods. Mods kicked the shit out of skinheads. Skinheads took out the heavy metal guys, and the heavy metal guys beat the living shit out of new wavers, and the new wavers did nothing. They were the new hippies. What was the point? Final summation? None. <laughs> Okay, so SLC Punk, this is a comedy coming of age. Uh, it follows the life and times of Steve-O and Heroin Bob. Two Evo? <laughs> Steve-O and Heroin Bob. Not that Steve-O, though. No, 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 no. This ain't Jack No, Ross. I know. This yeah. is Matthew Lillard. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, okay, get to that in a sec. Yeah. Two, okay, I'm doing the air quotes with my fingers. Two real punks living among a bunch of posers in salt lake city utah no okay come on like that just the idea of salt lake city having punks is just it it, it makes me laugh it's <laughs> does it okay here i will say i'm not going to be a poser and say that i know salt lake city mm -hmm. but <laughs> <laughs> but utah oh okay okay now i get what you're saying okay yeah because of no because of the Mormons? 
yeah, yeah sure yeah yeah you could have just said that eh? and, i mean <laughs> and, the, like, and, the, and the many wives and stuff and the many conservative you know <laughs> areas in utah um yeah. no but yeah, yeah. political preconceptions aside mm-hmm. okay i still think it's pretty funny because i mean of course there's punks in that area that's uh, the way it is i can only mormon know, punks <laughs> that's the thing though they're not mormon because not mormon is not punk <laughs> punk check oh my gosh mormon punks <laughs> yes i yes i laugh at my own jokes sometimes <laughs> someone's gotta do it someone's gotta do it <laughs> well, all, right, all right back to your uh back, back to my to your, spiel yeah back to your mormon punk story i'm kidding it's not a, it has nothing to do with mormons right right no. okay. well yes and yes and no because i mean it oh, is salt yes lake no. city oh okay yeah okay. there's mormons there but yeah. there's also like Latter-day Saints, uh, Jesuits, right. um, yeah, non-punk affiliations. Uh, this was <laughs> yeah. this was written and directed by James Marandino, and it's heavily autobiographical, based on Marandino's own life growing up in the punk scene of Salt Lake City, Utah. And the cast includes such greats as Matthew Lillard, as Stevo. Yeah, I mean Scooby. he is an, he I mean, was Shaggy in every. From... <laughs> okay shaggy shaggy he wasn't okay um first thing that comes should i say this again eric uh (laughs) a different generation (laughs) okay um he was basically matthew lillard i seriously know this guy from every single fucking 90s film (laughs) like literally he was like in scream Scream. (laughs) i just think of him in scream but like he was seriously in every single 90s film. Like, if you know that 90s actors, you know Matthew Lillard was looking. <laughs> it was a here's a deep cut that I liked him in. What? And uh, yes, this was your this was your era, so you should know it. <laughs> 13 Ghosts. Oh, okay, no, I don't. Oh, wait, you don't like horror. Okay. Never yeah, mind. yeah. No, I'm not. I don't know that one, Eric. 1999. It's just just on the cusp, huh? Just on the cusp, yeah. Yeah. Which Scooby Doo, by the way was around the early 2000s so yeah 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 no definitely not a 90s Prince. film <laughs> another <laughs> you remember film. matthew lillard i'll be <laughs> back you remember from scream yeah <laughs> sorry i just always <laughs> yeah he's always a goofball like in always. every single 90s so um, one of the reasons I had why to talk about matthew lillard of course oh all the love for matthew lillard like yeah this guy's fucking awesome or all the him. all the goof about matthew lillard <laughs> and he makes this he's he's really really and you know some might disagree with me but i think he makes this film so funny this is a big goofball well i'm sure they casted him for that reason yeah mm, right maybe perhaps yeah but he could take serious tones too he can't oh well mm, you know what now that i think about it no it just depends on your taste. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I will say about this film. There yeah. the end is goes for the dramatic punch. And I, I, I don't know if I if I like Matthew Lillard. Swing and a dramatic miss. Punch, swing, yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay because he carries no, I, yeah. he's carrying this film. I love him in this film. He's amazing. Um all my film well, no, maybe two of my films uh, also the endings were also like kind of uh, swing and uh, a miss. I thought too, you were gonna but... say they had Matthew Lillard in them. But... <laughs> yeah right um no because they're not from the 90s silly um matthew matthew lillard matthew 90s lillard. highlight episode um, um but yeah no I, okay with that ending okay so you said it not didn't really van well or hit just didn't hit ah uh, it goes for a dramatic punch and i just i don't mm. know it's just mm. uh, 
Yeah, but it's necessary. It's part okay. of the it's all it's all part of the it's all part of the message. Um yeah. to go <laughs> to continue with the cast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh Michael A. Gorgian as Hero and Bob. Mm. Those two again, Michael and Matthew carry this film. Yeah. Uh, first name basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with Annabelle Gish, Jennifer Leon, Devin Sawa, another nineties guy. <laughs> another nineties guy. Oh God, I, I'll save it about that guy because yeah, I've seen him in like everything else. Yeah, <laughs> Final yeah. Destination. Um, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What a reference. Eminem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I won't go. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna like this next one. Hmm. Jason Seg- Siegel. Not Jason Segel. Not Jason Segel. Oh, Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was imagining Jason Segel in this film. Um, Jason Siegel. Jason Segel, who's that? Comedian. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, he's in there? Yeah, this is his, like, really, like, Oh, he really must be a baby. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. He must be a baby. He's hilarious. Oh. He plays a kind of, like, geeky dressed dude that is yeah, I just... I see him doing that. But he's bonkers. He's like a. Yeah. He's like he. He has moments of like strange, like, <laughs> like he's like a, a weak looking dude, but he's actually very strong. And he's like he picks fights all the time, and it's it's pretty great. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Um. Along with James Duvall, Summer Phoenix, and Till Schweiger. Does that ring a bell? Till Schweiger. Till Schweiger, German actor. I don't think so. Hugo mm. Stiglitz, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Plays a maniac in this as well. Um, but about this film. So talking about what makes punk punk and not mm-hmm. not punk, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's all this film's about is these two guys, you know, Steve O and Heron Bob, mm-hmm. their whole life, I mean the whole movie, and basically the ethos of their life is uh be punk and don't be a poser. And <laughs> it is comedy gold for that because they go through the whole like they go they were basically following their daily life and in their daily life it's basically just about who's a poser and who's really punk and mm. and steve-o leads this voiceover hilarious voiceover about you know his personal life and like how he became punk and then also commenting on other people as well and uh no surprise that it's in a voiceover because again this is a highly biographical film um mm. from marindino himself and to quote him from an article from Spin, he says, the whole reason I wanted to make this movie was to help people understand what exactly being a punk is about. Previous to that, I kept seeing punks in movies shown as guys with knives and muggy people. All my punk friends were intellectuals, and I wanted to show that there was some complexity to that lifestyle, much like we're doing to this today in this episode. So like my other two films to be mentioned, this film runs a real cult following and Lillard and Gorgian both mention instances of fan devotion. And it's easy to see. I'm actually surprised that this film is not as celebrated as a cult as much as it is because mm-hmm. there are, it's got that cultural distinction where I think you can pull like a lot of um, really iconic lines and, and characters from this, for example, heroin Bob. I mean, so he's supposed to be like a, like a, like a like a rec- recreation of Travis Bickle, mm-hmm. and so he's there's been people that have gotten like that same tattoo and everything on their arms, and like mm-hmm. this film is is beloved by the by those audiences. And what 
like I said, what I was impressed by this film. I was really impressed by like the little cinematic treats for those paying attention, like those things you pay attention to with like small montages and the way they're put together. I think they're spectacular. There's talking about, you know, posers in the punk scene. There's this one really good montage about that, you know, Steve O goes on about Nazi punks and why they're the ultimate posers. And the reason why is because their ideology of of being, you know, a white supremacist in the punk scene is contradicting because the whole thing again about being a punk is to be against the power against its anti-establishment establishment being power and if you're a nazi punk well that makes you a fucking poser because you're mm-hmm. you're yeah. anti you're you are the establishment because you are the power enforcing on somebody else but mm-hmm. it's not as dry and serious sounding as i'm saying it now he says it so hilariously and that's what really makes this film like really digestible in that way and why i liked it so much mm-hmm. um steve-o's voice is the caveat to these sequence and that energy of the punk scene is reflecting in, in not only just the characters but in the in the in the editing and the rhythm of the film as well uh, here's an interesting thing to note about this film. The film was actually kind of re- why it probably doesn't have fair, fairest ratings today. This film was really rejected by both the punk scene <laughs> and by the Salt Lake City community. Um, it kind of pissed off both sides of the coin, which is yeah. kind of a shame because, well, obviously the punks are like, this is a Hollywood film. That's immediately not punk. And so, yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like understandable. Yeah. Um, but then also the, S- the SLC, you know, Salt Lake City community is like, that's not us. Like we didn't, you know, they they get this, you know, high horse, you know, we didn't mm-hmm. raise these kids. That's not us. Yeah, um, yeah. So there was, a, there was a lot of, <laughs> it, kind of it kind of felt in favor, in favorably to both. But I argue that it was outside the margins of both, therefore making it punk. <laughs> but that's just my opinion um today yeah. today the film is way better received by utah and it even has its own page on the utah film registry and <laughs> about its impact on the town so nice. there you go so redemption time mm-hmm. um so all that being said uh this film is really quite entertaining and i love it for that uh with also something pretty smart to say about you know what it is to be punk i think um and in a very digestible way i I love it 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 doesn't take itself too seriously it comes off with this kind of like slapstick goofball um you know kind of air to it which just is makes it more refreshing than some of the hard hitters that we have on this episode coming up Mm -hmm. um here's a quote from steve-o in the film when all said when all is said and done i was nothing more than a goddamn trendy ass poser and yeah steve-o is kind of right because the irony about being punk is that it is temporal and nothing stays punk forever it's really the house the halcyon years of our of authenticity that are gone before we know it and that quiet significance that that's sort of something smart to say about this that this film has uh beneath the veneer of its you know hilarious you know comedic timings and all that is what makes it a spectacular watch and definitely worth the time to go see so if you want to check it out this is available to rent or stream or might I recommend you find it at your nearest video store? Is that what you did? No, I, I actually. Oh, <laughs> okay. Because yeah. punk, punk is. Poser. 
Damn, you did Amazon? Okay. Yeah, for real. <laughs> the establishment. Um <laughs> Damn. Don't stream this if you're if you're not if you're not a poser. Oh my god, you didn't do the punk as fuck thing and and uh, get it from your local video store. <laughs> no, but this film certified punk as fuck. All right. I'll believe you till I see it, Eric. <laughs> And then you'll believe me after because it is. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start off with a film that is from the director of Pump Up the Volume and Empire Records, but we're going way back to 1980, going to Times Square, directed by Alan Moyle. There are 8 million stories in the big city. People say I have a bird's eye view. Perched up here night after night, looking right down into the heart of the beast. Yes, stop coming with me. Would you get in the car? Yes, it's story time. This is Johnny LaGuardia. It's that kind of night and that kind of feeling. Uh, Pamela, this is uh, Dr. Huber of Columbia Presbyterian, professor of neuropsychology. He's attending this very privileged to have him here with us. I was in a car crash, or was it the war? Pammy and Nikki, they've had it with being looked after. From now on, they're going to run the show for themselves and find themselves some dreams. All right, breathe, my brain, your blows out. You laughing at? You said brain, blows out. <laughs> Out on the street and out of the night. They have a message for the city. And they're going to be heard on Times Square. I don't see why we need to be famous. You know a lot of things. I only know one thing, and it is that they're going to see who I am. Apathy, banality, boredom, television. But a new iconoclast has come to save us. It's the Sleaze Sisters. It's Nikki and Pamela. Go to it, girls. Get out of here! This is my place! You all need visiting! Out! This is Nikki Murata, famous murderer and entertainer. I'm throwing a concert tonight in Times Square to celebrate my escape from mental illness. Don't miss it. Coming together, Pammy and Nikki found each other and themselves on the streets of New York. Now, the whole city is going to share their exhilaration. The venue will be Times Square. To be named after Times Square... You got to have a really punk film. Otherwise, you're the establishment. (laughs) This name, uh, yeah, it kind of cracks me up. I have a feeling that um, they probably had it like another name, but 
you'll, you'll see, I, I'll get into it. This movie has problems with the production side. A oh. lot, a lot of it. Two of my films do actually, but um, yeah, this one, I know. Fucking production, right? Establishment. Okay. Fuck them. <laughs> We're gonna be saying that more a lot now um, during this episode. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna read out the synopsis that I found online, but I really don't think it it gives the movie a lot of justice. So I'm gonna try to like obviously go into the movie and give it more justice because this movie deserves all the justice in the world. Um, it's phenomenal. But okay, so we have two mismatched teenage girls run away from a mental institution and forge a relationship on the gritty streets of New York City. Very brief, but I'm telling you, this movie is just so much more beyond that. It is, this movie is punk as fuck. It's just rated stamp. It's punk as fuck, seriously. Um, but I have to attribute that to the cast. So starting off, we have uh, Trini Alvarado as Pamela Pearl or Pammy. Um, and then we have Robin Johnson as Nikki Moroda, who <laughs> I found out she literally pretty much dropped off after this movie, oh. you know, and that's unfortunate because Trini Alvarado as Pammy, Pamela, she plays this kind of uptight teenager from obviously like a very well-to-do background. Her dad's like a city counselor. So she's definitely like, she lives on the upper, you know, like probably like the upper east side or up, you know, just in an upper affluent. area. Affluent. Um, and then Robin Johnson as Nikki, she is basically this orphan teenager immediately like upon like watching the movie, like in the beginning, she's, you know, she has like this like leather jacket with like, you know, buttons and, and you know, sequins on and all that stuff. Like, you know, immediately we talk about punk as like self-expression, like her own like clothes is like screaming self-expression, obviously. So she even like busts out with like her guitar, like right away. Like she starts playing, <laughs> okay, this is, this is like immediately like the start of the movie is like, Nikki's like on the street, you know, the gritty streets of like Times Square. She busts out with this guitar. She starts playing it like super loud, like behind like an alley like um, kind of she's like sitting on this car like a really nice car and then this lady comes out and she's I think she's like a like a like a waitress or like a club owner or something like that she was like what do you think you're doing and like Nikki's like you know she's like oh I'm playing you know I'm playing like she's like this is you know free country kind of thing and she's like you know you're sitting on the boss's car she's like oh yeah I am and then the lady's like yeah you are she was like okay she Nikki proceeds to to get like this like wrench or something like that she bashes the car in I oh, mean this yeah. just this just gives you the punk spirit like she does not give a flying fuck that this is the boss's car so already like you know fuck you know down the man like against the establishment right off see the, the reaction that's that's what it is it's the reaction it's not the action yeah because she was just playing her car or her guitar on the car yeah her guitar yeah, it's her the reaction. The yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we rhyming now. Um, <laughs> so that's the that's what it is. The reaction. You know, it's, it's the perfect. reaction. Yeah. So, like, of course, what do you what do you know? It's the reaction also to that as well. Is that she ends up getting arrested? So she, yeah, she it. ends up getting arrested. So which leads me to um, sorry, I have one more cast I have to mention. This is pretty big. Um, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Tim motherfucking curry as okay. John, yeah as um 
he's Johnny LaGuardia. And so this is obviously the big name of the movie. Obviously, this is the big draw. Uh, Tim Curry, come on. See, <laughs> for a second there, I thought you're, you were going to say it was Michelle Piccoli because you got a little streak going on there. <laughs> But Tim Curry, that's I nice. I like. Wish, Eric. I <laughs> low key wish, but um, no, unfortunately, no. That's hilarious. No, no, Michelle Piccoli. We have uh, Tim Curry though, which is honestly equally as great. I yes. love Tim Curry. Um, so he plays the DJ, uh, Johnny LaGuardia for this for this local radio station in New York, and you know, uh, Johnny. So Tim Curry's character, Johnny, he comes across as like this. Um, kind of like he's like the uh like the dj of the streets he hears the you know the thoughts innermost thoughts of like people he has people like write in all the time and he's like he reads out their messages and he gives them you know feedback and thoughts like over the radio he kind of comes across as like he's like a woke dj like he you know he's like oh yeah like i know what you guys are thinking out there but you kind of find out that you know hmm, actually he's also part of the establishment as well and so poser. but yeah <laughs> poser um yeah basically they never say that but like you could yeah you could you could say he's a poser or is woke is a woke like another way of saying poser huh i i think so like, yeah possibly <laughs> so I don't know, I kind of broke it down into like, I want to break down like the punk elements of this movie. So like question authority. This movie is all about question authority here. Like the girls, so starting off from this mental institution that they're both at, which by the way, there's nothing obviously wrong with them. You know, so it's like mental health is deemed as a problem, you mm. know, to society. But these girls really just, they don't have problems, you know, and the doctors, you know, they ask them questions and it's really condescending, you know, and, and even, um, Pammy, Pamela, she tells, uh, one of the doctor who's talking to Nikki, she's like, you know, I don't like the way you're talking to her. And he just like takes some notes and he just goes out of the room. Like they don't, they don't listen to teenagers, you know, they don't listen to the youth, you know, because why they're just kids. Right. So from this, because the authority doesn't listen the girls run away. So basically, um, you find out that Nikki, her mom basically OD'd at a really young age that like she when Nikki was young. And then the reason why Pamela is in this mental institution is because her dad, the city counselor put her there. Hmm. He can't, he can't even talk to his own daughter. So he puts her there. It's so pathetic. But like, this is the kind of like, so yeah, parents, not really there for their girls so what you would think is like a perfect family mm -hmm. is and you know this per perfect you know sort of affluent family is like crumbling at the bits on the inside like like little maggots are like crawling and you know destroying the middle right there you know the thing that people don't see yeah okay you brought up you brought up family and you brought me actually there's some like really like great nuggets like in this movie like great great scenes that i was like oh my god this is just hilarious but also just really good like so one of the early one scenes before uh Pamela gets put into this mental institution is her dad is just such an asshole by the way but her dad in the beginning he's he's giving this talk to a group of people about oh the clean up Times Square initiative so this is a very real thing that mm. um obviously went on but in this movie you know it's it's uh displayed as like fictional so his dad is uh, sorry her dad is like the city councilor so he's giving a talk to these people and he's trying to talk about the perfect father he is to Pamela. And Pamela's right sitting next to him. 
And he says that basically the night before or something like that, he was like, oh yeah, Pamela wanted to see One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And he was like, you know, he's like, so I'm a pretty liberal guy, you know, I'm going to let her see this, you know, despite it being rated R. So he comes across as like, you know, this like, okay, like this fake, you know, woke once again, like this, you know, he's like a woke liberal dad. And he was like, you know what, I'm going to let her see One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So what if it's rated R? But he was like, but once she told me where she wanted to see it on Times Square, he was like, I don't care that that movie is rated R. Those streets are rated X. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I that... damn near died. I damn near died because I was just <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> that's like, oh that's beyond cornball. That's like. <laughs> and, the, you know, but during this time when he's telling this story to like these people, because she knows it's just such a lie. Like what he's referring to, he knows literally nothing of the streets because, you know, we talked about Times Square back then. It was predominantly like a, a queer gay in just any kind of form of self-expression was on there, you know? Like that basically was like, it was a playground for people. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. And, and as people were making it out to be that these city councilors, people like the liberal guys like that, they were just like, clean it up. What they're trying to say is like, clean up the self-expression of some of the, of these people. So, you know, clearly Pamela's hung around on Times Square on 42nd. And, you know, she was like, so when he's telling the story, she's like, she's like holding back tears. And she was like, that's a lie. That's a lie. And then she's like, that's a lie. Like she screams it out. She just, she just runs. And he was like, oh, he's like, I guess we're still not like, he's like, he's like, oh, I guess we didn't really make up like, cause I guess he was talking about the night before that they were fighting over that movie and stuff like that. So he's, he just sucks. And, you know, once again, it's like the parents letting down. Yeah. Like the family, you know, so, so there's that whole thing. Um, so yeah, these girls, they run away from the parents. They run away from doctors. They outrun the law. They steal from stores. Um, and they squat uh, eventually at this abandoned warehouse because you <laughs> are, you know, like something. <laughs> it's a little Thelma and Louise there, no? A little bit, yeah. I mean, you could bit. say that that movie also is like, you know, very much like it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, they're outlaws, but what are they running away from, right? They're running mm. away from this establishment, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah Thelma yeah. and Louise Good. certified punk as <laughs> But once again, you know, I could tie these movies like, have you ever heard of Times Square before this, before me talking yeah, about it? Exactly. No, this is, this is most new people, territory. Yeah. I mean, most people haven't, you know, so that's, that's kind of what I'll get at is that um, these movies, it seems like it's still too taboo, you know, talking about, um, so yeah, I'll bring it up to my next point, sisterhood, female friendship and queer love. So these girls, uh, there's a scene where these two girls, they actually cut their hands and they do a blood bond with each other. Oh. And Nikki tells Pamela, she was like, I want you to scream out my name if you're ever in trouble and I'll do like do it vice versa. So they have like this like cute little moment right there. And, you know, you could look at this movie and be like, okay, you'd be hard pressed not to see that there obviously is like a lesbian aspect to it. Upon like researching this movie, so in the original cut of Times Square, there was actually more overt lesbian scenes, but that was ultimately removed from the final print. What do you know? Mm, wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, Alan Moyle, the director, he's so pissed. He actually 
uh, towards the end of the movie, I, I believe when they wrapped up, they, he walked out. Mm. Yeah, he walked out because he feels that the film's integrity uh, was lost basically because they removed that. So that's very, that's very unfortunate. You can tell because the ending is kind of weird. It doesn't feel like that was like the true ending. Um, yeah. It's not hard to miss. Um, but yeah, like lastly, I want to go into like the music because we are, you know, this is we're talking about punk and film. So the girls basically form a punk band in the movie called the Sleaze Sisters. <laughs> and they, they write poems and songs about fighting depression. What do you know? And it's, what do you it's know? yeah, it's so awesome. I'm not going to say one of the songs because one of the songs is kind of, um, it's a little, it's a little racy actually. Um, and yeah, basically they're, they're saying some of, um, like racist slurs. They're yeah. saying racist slurs <laughs> because they're like, basically how people say these racist slurs, specifically Pamela's talking about her dad, but she was like, in the end, they're like, but they are one, is that that's their whole message. They're like, all these things you call me, but I am one, daddy. Like, it's it's so punk. It's like, you it's can form call of me- ownership. Yeah, yeah, it's a form of ownership. So I was like, yeah, okay, like, that's pretty cool. So, um, but yeah, the soundtrack features songs from the Ramones, The Cure, Lou Reed, Talking Heads. Um, very cool Talking Heads scene, by the way, where the girls, they just walk down 42nd Street they're dancing, having a good time with everyone on the street and talking heads, uh, life during wartime plays. And it Ooh. is just, honestly, it's just, this might go down in like one of my favorite scenes like ever. Cause was this at, so was this, perfect. was this at CBGB's? Uh, no, uh, 40, uh, 42nd street. So oh, like right. time, time square, right? Yeah. yeah but, yeah. um, yeah. And then the opening song, uh, is like a Roxy music like plays over like the opening credits of like Times Square and even the, the opening is just so punk too. But yeah, I don't know. I just want to say I could, I could really talk about this movie like all day. Cause what I want to say in conclusion is like this film has so much soul, like it has grit and it goes there, especially for depicting female friendships on screen, which is hello, somewhat of a rarity. <laughs> it's just so sad. Um, you know, you brought up Dom and Louise. I mean, were there more Thelma and Louise movies like that? No, there weren't. So, um, but yeah, like too bad the film really couldn't truly go where the director had envisioned and like, you know, damn the man. <laughs> damn the man for that. Like, I was like, I would have loved to see like this movie actually truly have been what it was and play out to the ending of what it was. Instead, like it was like a happy tacked on ending. I was like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't fault the director for that because obviously I looked that up and knowing how he was, he's dissatisfied from, from knowing that. But um, overall, I highly recommend if you want like an authentic film about what the true ethos of like punk is. And also this is just a really nice snapshot of how Times Square looked in the eighties. It's um, a fun time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it looked like a good time until politics got in the way and gentrification so, yeah, took over. 89, New Jack City. <laughs> and the 90s totally cleaned up um but mm. yeah i mean i guess i did something punk as fuck uh i rented this movie from my local video store uh it is only available on dvd currently but i did find out it will be eventually released on blu-ray from kino lorber so look out look out for that i will be looking out for that i'm so gonna get that um look out i believe later this year if not next year certified punk as fuck Yes, check. <laughs> Doggy approves. Okay, I'm ready to go for the number two. Go for it. Let's keep this train rolling. Yeah. All right. Keep this punk punk train. Rolling. 
And the punk train keeps rolling, 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 rolling into film number two for me. Uh, we are going with Suburbia, 1984, directed by Penelope Spheris. Meet the kids from Suburbia. There's Jack. Wake up and smell the coffee, man. Sheila. Fast and these scars are ready. Joe. That could be there all your life. And Ethan. I feel kind of scared. You'll love them. Hate him. Metal rejects running wild in our street. Fuck up, Dano. Their music. We're talking about kids. Kids are like yours and mine. Well, I'm damn sure they aren't my kids. They're home. This is the best home any of us ever had. Besides, if we didn't have each other, we wouldn't have anything. And nobody's going to take it away from them. You shut up! You molested your own daughter, you scumbag. Shit face. A new movie about a new generation. Suburbia. Okay, so I've seen this one, you know, I saw this one a few years ago, first time. Mm -hmm. And I'm blown away then. Still blown away this time. Like, the second viewing still, like, shocks you. Because, you know, you forget some things about plot. And um, so when they come back around and, and, you know, happens and you're like, oh, my God, like, I totally forgot that happened in this film. And it's just like still, you know, like super emotional. Mm -hmm. um, this film is really hard hitting. This is a coming of age drama about, OK, little long synopsis just to give context. Uh, teenager Evan and his brother Ethan. Uh, Evan is probably, I'm going to guess, like 14, 15. Ethan's like six. OK, he's a little kid. They both run away from their abusive alcoholic mother and are welcomed into a community of teenage punks that go by TR, the rejected. Oh. I was thinking rebellion. This, this ain't Star Wars. Um, okay. <laughs> led, led by the patriarch, coolest name, Jack Diddley. Mm. You didn't know Jack Diddley, did you? Didn't know Diddley squat. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> they live cooperatively in a dilapidated house on the outside of the city limits. After a hostile encounter with two dissatisfied suburban men, the teens, TR, quickly become the scapegoats of the city. Now, this is a really dense synopsis because that's really what, like, really like the underlying plot of this film. But this film runs like butter. It is so smooth that even just like thinking about the plot and how it happens is like there's no skipped beats. And I really do sincerely mean that this film runs like butter. And I think really what it is, is there's a lot of there's a lot of like a, a rhythmic sections to this film. And I think they're all tied together 
by there's three sequences and it seems like there's one in each each act of the film there's a there's a a warehouse punk show that we're always brought back to to every act and these warehouse punk shows are like little codas in the film and they are the best scenes in my opinion because okay so every time in each different warehouse scene there's a new band that plays and don't ask me what the name of the bands are because i'm a poser and i don't know what they are uh, <laughs> but oh my god the songs are just like pumped up mm. the energy so mm. penelope spears uh for you know whoever didn't know this had a before this film had made a documentary called the 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 decline of western civilization I was going to say disintegration. See, I hate uh, when I mix up words like that. Thank like you. <laughs> the decline of Western civilization. And the film is about really, you know, like that, like an investigation into the punk world. But it was a, it was a documentary, a strictly a documentary. And it feels she like did, she did like three of them, I think. There's three like different whole, versions. Yeah, she did like a series. Yeah, yeah she was supposedly making a fourth. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully we see that soon. Mm -hmm. um, so those three films are really like it feels like in the suburbia those punk shows are like pulled mm -hmm. straight out of those documentaries how you know vivacious those scenes are it's just like a total insanity um but i'll get more to that in a sec let's go to the cast here this includes a spectacular <laughs> unforeseen performance from chris peterson as jack diddley chris peterson is not an actor. You know what Chris Peterson is? He's a punk? Like no. in a punk band? Or... No, he's a NASCAR yeah. driver. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so punk. <laughs> it's seriously though, like, okay, talking about, I, I, there's this, this film is made because Penelope Spheris almost bleeds punk. I mean, if mm -hmm. you're talking about somebody who comes to mind and you're talking about the punk scene, I think Penelope Spheris needs to be one of those people that comes to mind along with like, you know, Sid Vicious and, and among others. Um, yeah, yeah. Penelope Spheris has seemed to have made every facet of this film with the spirit of punk. And so these, you have a lot of people who are definitely not actors, um, but they're punks. And so Chris Peterson, don't know his exact background story around the time of this film, definitely not an actor. We also have Bill Coyne, also was not really an actor, but he plays the most, you know, kind of uh, kind of straight played character, sort of, you know, suburban kid in Ethan. Um, and sorry, in Evan. Mm -hmm. And then Jennifer Clay, another non-actor, and my favorite yeah the 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 bassist himself of red hot chili peppers flea who's actually credited <laughs> as mike b the flea in this film which I yeah like. i had i had seen that that he was in that movie yeah. yeah okay so talk about flea for a second he plays a character that has a pet rat and there's some disturbing i mean not disturbing it's, it's not disturbing it's more disgusting mm -hmm. scenes with this pet rat mm -hmm. one that involves him almost putting the whole entire rat in his mouth like swallowing the rat oh, and it's why just am like, I not surprised <laughs> I mean I mean you're not surprised but when you see it you are surprised it's just that gross yeah but I actually I really like it he's just like you know the rat's just like sniffing his nose and yeah you know, and then womp, just like swallows the rat <laughs> oh my gosh punk as fuck all right so <laughs> Film analysis here. Let's talk about the origins of this film. Why Penelope Spheres made Suburbia. And, you know, a little background here. The reason, the way she got this finance was to Roger Corman. 
we know Roger Corman, exploitation. Mm-hmm. And I guess you can call him Godfather, but I wouldn't look at him so kindly that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Penelope Spheres got this film produced by Roger Corman. And this came from an instance at a theater in which Penelope Spheres says, so a theater owner told me in regards to the decline of Western civilization, if you want to make a movie about punk rock and get it into theaters, it can't be a documentary. It has to be a narrative film. It has to tell a story. And then as the punk badass she is, she said, so I wrote Suburbia. And having been a part of the scene for quite a few years, I had heard many stories, seen many incidents that I put together fictitiously when I wrote this script. A bit of autobiographical, if I, I mean, maybe third person more, um, react uh, a creation of this film. So Penelope Spheres, in that scene, you're getting a real, a pretty authentically close look at the punk scene in this film. Uh, So this film is kind of notorious for its opening. So uh, for those who are faint of heart, let's skip 30 seconds ahead. Uh, But Mm -hmm. for the rest of us, you know, who are staying. So basically what happens is it starts off on this highway and this, this, you know, young girl's walking. She seems like she's ran away from home and she's hitchhiking. Uh, Mother and their baby pick her up in their car, but maybe like, you know, 100 yards down the road the tire pops in the car so they pull over and they go into this phone booth and the mother goes into the phone booth meanwhile the the young girl holds the baby by the hand okay now first sign of trouble and a big metaphor for the film this dog comes out of nowhere and it's like a it's like a uh, a vicious sort of like a like a dot not a dachshund but like a you know those like pointed nose kind of brown dogs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Greyhound? Yeah. Maybe. Or not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just no, just no, it's vicious. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> snarling, er, like that, you know, like, like mm-hmm. really angry. And the young girl sees that she's just looking. And then the dog pounces and kidnaps not the girl, but the baby. Mm-hmm. And that scene, the one shot, the dog is ripping the baby to shreds. And it Do you is, see this? Now here's the here's the thing. Okay, you're an imaginative. If you're an imaginative person, this is very mm-hmm. shocking because you know it looks real. But what mm-hmm. it is is you, you know those of us who are always in you know hard to convince. Mm-hmm. It's a, basically like a doll, like a baby doll. But mm. the message still gets across that the metaphor of the dog, which is that the dogs, much like the. Uh, punks that are living in this you know in this dilapidated house nowhere to go vicious um they're a lot alike you know and it's like a coincidental metaphor because it's not forced it's not like it's something that it actually came from another one of an observation from penelope spears because at the time in downey california she was hearing talks about how these you know there's like this this pack of dogs that are rabid and and they you know they attack and and they're running the streets and she was, you know, it's just like one of those coincidental metaphors that just really makes too much sense. Mm-hmm. But this film is a layer of examination of the punk scene. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, deep onion layers of just so many things that you can pull out about the philosophy of punk in this film. Um, one of my favorites, you know, might be the the sort of portrayal of, of the different groups of characters, how there's no real preconception about any of the types of like, you know, political groups that are in this film, such as the punks. There's also the uh, working class men. There's also their wives who 
arguably are their own political group with their own ideology. Then there's the cops. Then there's, you know, so there's these layers of suburbia. But what you think of some Penelope Spheres' whole, you know, agenda in this film is, is totally to go against those preconceptions. Whereas we're not hailing punk as this hero against the bad suburbia. But we're also not, we're definitely not, you know, on the side of the cops. But these cops are not necessarily people out to get anybody. So it's it's this it's this neutral zone to let these conflicts happen between these different groups. And it is so phenomenally presented. Um, it really hits you hard towards the end, especially this really terrible ending that is you're talking about tragedy. Oof. Oh my God. Let's just say that it matches the start of the film. Um, and a lot of this, again, goes back to Spheres putting punk in every facet of this film. There are moments in this film that are worth discussion um, and to, to be highlighted, but I think seeing this film as a complete package beginning to end, uh, seeing how characters like Jack Dibley and how, you know, Evan and Ethan, the suburban kids and, and their character transformations um, and how closely they stick to the ideology of punk even till a very end is something to really, something really, you know, perfect to represent that the, the punk scene and it's a real multi-dimensional look at the social and cultural lives of punks in this time in the 80s um the decay of suburbia which the definition they break it down suburban utopia uh which couldn't sound more like hell and mm -hmm. a spotlight on and it puts a spotlight on the rapidly decaying infrastructure of that suburban life so to me this is, film is a must-see not only as a great document of a subculture but for a damn good story as well. And if you want to check this film out, you can check it out on Tubi, Pluto TV, Voodoo. It's there. Go see it. Okay, so my second film of the day is one of the one of the PCP, one of the Pure Cinema podcast guys, uh, Brian Sauer. This is one of his favorite films, I believe, and they just showed it at the New Beverly Cinema. I'm talking about Over the Edge, released in 1979, directed by Jonathan Kaplan. Welcome to New Granada, where people come to escape city life. It has safe streets, clean air, good schools. It's a perfectly planned community, but something strange is happening. Something that wasn't part of the plan. Seems to me like you all were in such a hopped up hurry to get out of the city that you turn your kids into exactly what you're trying to get away from. Something that could drive this town over the edge. You're to take these home to your parents, is to let them know about a special emergency meeting to discuss the problems about your people. Mommy's all right. Kid who tells on another kid. It's a dead kid. Oh! I don't know how many of us are willing to admit just how deep in trouble some of the kids in the city are. Tension is rising. You people talk about these kids like they're a bunch of animals. Tempers are raging. Your son and some of his friends are part of this. My son and his friends are part of this town. Time is running out and something's got to explode. They've got guns! Keep cool! I can assure you everything is under control. They were old enough to know better, but 
too young to care. And now this town is over the edge. Let's get into this cult classic. And um, I guess, yes, is this a punk movie? I believe it is, but I'll, I'll get into why I think it is. So um, let's go into synopsis here. So New Granada is a planned community set in the desert where there is nothing for the kids to do, save for a rec center, which closes at 6 p.m. The parents in their zeal to attract industry to their town have all but neglected their children. As a result, the kids start to riot. <laughs> Everybody Lord started teenage riot. Lord of the Flies, <laughs> uh, punk version. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, it kind of is like that. So, um, but yeah, let's get into the cast. Um, I'm not going to start off with the with the banger here, but I'm going to start off with uh, basically who this film revolves around. Um, more of a like an unknown actor here, but I really like this guy. Michael Michael Kramer is uh, Carl Willett. And then we have his debut role. We have Matt Dillon as mm. Richie White. Yeah, this is Matt Dillon's debut role. And he like, he just fucking knocks it out of the ballpark. He is just so, mm. you know, I'm telling, remember the, what is it? The one movie I talked about for coming of age, uh, Little Darlings. This is around, this is around the same time though. And then The Outsiders is after that. And, and then Rubble Fish. And then like, he just, he's just like, he's just doing it. Like, it's nuts. Like Matt Dillon in like, the, in the eighties, like, well, this is a 79, but you know, it's like right there, but it's like in the eighties, like he was unstoppable. Like, why does no one talk about his like- Well, we do. His, I know, <laughs> seriously. I mean, we are, I feel like we're shining a light, but like, my God, I feel like not enough people talk about Matt Dillon and his career during this time. But yeah, this is his debut role. Um, so then we have uh, Pamela Ludwig as Corey. Uh, which is like Carl's love interest, uh, Harry Northrup as, as uh, Sergeant Doberman. And then we have an early one uh, for Nick, uh, sorry, Vincent Spano as Mark Perry. So yeah, this, I believe this film is like a cult film, but I also believe it can be considered a punk film because it has everything going for it that punk movies that we expect like questioning authority. So in this film, the adults constantly let down the teenagers, like constantly um, in New Granada, just by the sheer fact. So this this place, New Granada, very kind of like creepy place. I mean, it's not, it's, like creep, it's not creepy in the sense like, ooh, scary. No, no, no. It's just that like, basically what you said about Salt Lake, I don't know, it reminded me like, like, I don't know, maybe like planned communities in the sense, you know, mm. planned communities, but this can maybe like fail people though, specifically teenagers where in this scenario, like, so this actually, this movie was based off, this fictional elements, but it's based off actually real life events. Like the writers were inspired by real life events where this happened to a planned community, I believe in like, I don't know if it's Fresno or some part of California where they did this whole planned community and actually this plant community had the highest rates of like vandalism, like all this like juvenile, like delinquency basically. Oh, that's interesting. So they're basing it off of this and now it's New Granada and this, but yeah. So the adults constantly let down the teenagers just by the sheer fact of the city developers not building anything for the children to do except for this recreation center, but it closes at 6 p.m. every day. So it's like, then what? Where can the kids go? Like literally in this movie, like they don't, where can they go? They go to the fields, they get high, they're on drugs. Like 
these teenagers, I mean, they're so, they're so young really, but like, you know, they drop acid, they, you know, they, one of them, I think does speed or something like that, you know, there's drinking, but that's the whole point is like these people who moved to New Granada, they escape the city life because, you know, we all know, like, you know, the city is supposed to be a dangerous place. So move out to the suburbs. Well, the suburbs suck. <laughs> In this movie, they make a, a great case for it. There's nothing for these kids to do. And not only that, like the parents just don't know how to talk to their kids, if at all, like they just, they don't, they don't talk and they don't know how to talk to their children or worse, they fear them. So naturally these kids, like these teenagers would start, you know, would want to start a riot and the consequences are really not so pretty. But yeah, like it sucks because there's a scene where Carl, like he hears his dad who talks to a city developer about building more houses and Carl confronts his dad about promising him that they would be building a bowling alley. But then Carl's dad tells his son, he's like, well, a bowling alley won't really attract future residents to New Granada. So like, that's the kind of mentality here, you know, it's just like bogus, bogus things that like, you know, parents say. So it's not, it's not only like damn the man, it's also like damn adults, you know, damn parents, because they constantly let down their kids in this case. Um, but this also, this movie is also very much fuck the police, uh, as, I, as I like to think it, because the new Granada police, specifically Sergeant Doberman, are just so power, they're so power hungry in this, in this movie. So um, in this planned community, like, yeah, Sergeant Doberman, because he has a gun, he thinks he's like God, basically, you know, he thinks he has full authority over these, over these kids, and he constantly harasses the teenagers, and he does he does things to them that like he has no right to do, but you know, what's new, but you know, <laughs> police stepping way outside of their, their, you know, like bounds and lines. And so it's, it's just so, it's so inappropriate what they do. And, um, you know, like they, one of, there's like a scene where like Sergeant Doberman, he like busts into the recreation center. I mean, okay, one, no, you really don't have like the right to do that. And then he's like, he's like, I could search anyone in this, in this place if I wanted to, because Julia, who's like the recreation like counselor she was like you have no right to be here like the kids like can be here and and he was like I want to do a search warrant kind of thing I'm oh, sorry he's like I want to do a, that's a warrant he's like I'm going to do a search and she was like okay what like you know she's trying to stop him but like he's just all like he's like oh, I can search anyone if I want to and he's just like yeah eventually he goes to this kid who actually does have drugs on him but only because this other kid ratted out to Sergeant Doberman mm. and Matt Dillon has like this great line like <laughs> earlier where like the cops I guess they constantly take in like Matt Dillon's character and Carl or, or like stuff like that and they're just they're like oh can you tell us more about you know what you guys do or what you guys up to and then Matt Dillon's just like he's like all I know is that like he's like you guys got laws he's like well I he's like I got one too he was like like uh, a kid he was like is a dead kid if he snitches basically so you know like they're not gonna snitch kind of thing but yeah, so like, um, I think, yeah, the punk ethos is definitely there with this movie, like in every single way with the question authority and how the adults just, they suck, the police just suck. And these teenagers, you know, they've essentially, we talk about the, the family union, you know, and they form a community with each other at this new Granada place that is just it sucks. It seems like it would suck to live there. You know, it's just suburbs and there's nothing else to do. And not only that, there's like, there's abandoned houses that they plan to sell and they just didn't sell. So now these kids are like squatting on these areas and they, 
I guess someone finds like a gun at, or someone or someone finds a gun someone steals a gun at this person's house and then they play they start playing with the gun and let's just say that there's unfortunate consequences without giving anything away um but yeah I mean the, the music <laughs> the soundtrack features like songs from like Cheap Trick the Ramones Van Halen the Cars Jimi Hendrix they actually feature a lot of songs by Cheap Trick okay so normally like playing on the radio like what's that one surrender yeah so okay normally yeah. that song annoys the shit out of me but <laughs> actually here in this movie it really works well because like if you if you hear the lyrics they line up to what the movie's trying to say it's like you know mommy's all you know like oh, so it's sheesh. like yeah, yeah, I yeah it, it actually works with the with the movie because it's like yeah the, the parents do suck um <laughs> but yeah um, but yeah, I don't know. I just want to say, like, in conclusion, I do think this movie is pretty powerful. Um, it's also quite shocking. There's like some, there's some pretty shocking moments. Um, and you can see the influence this film had on like Richard Linklater's like Days and Fuse, Larry Clark's kids. Um, but actually researching this, because I didn't know this, um, this film was actually highly influential to Kurt Cobain mm. and his song uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. So I thought that was pretty cool but yeah I, be I believe this movie is definitely like a precursor to a lot of like movies about like uh just you know disillusioned teenagers movies or you know like coming of age stories um but yeah I actually I I did watch this on the I have the Arrow video blu-ray um I highly recommend picking that up because they have a lot of great special features on there because I believe this movie was long unavailable or it was on dvd but maybe it was out of print i'm not sure but now we have a beautiful uh arrow video uh, arrow, arrow video blu-ray so um yeah go pick that up because this movie is definitely um seminal in many many ways to punk films here we go uh film number three to wrap this up on my end today we have the warriors 1979 directed by walter hill These are the armies of the night. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? The Furies. The Boppers. The Hi-Hats. The Lizzies. The Turnbull ACs. The Gramercy Riffs. Riffs! And these are the Warriors. We know about the Warriors. They're a heavy outfit. They're from Coney Island. Warriors? You guys are the big dudes, huh? Now, they're in the Bronx. We're going back. 27 miles behind enemy lines. It's the only choice we got. Between them and safety stand 20,000 cops. <laughs> and a hundred thousand sworn enemies. I want them all. I want all the warriors. They've got one way out. They've got one chance. They've got one night. The Warriors. Okay, talking about genre. Are we thinking 
Because this is what I'm thinking. This is a road film. A road <laughs> film. Now, we just did an episode on road films. Kind of wish I included this in there, but it's okay. But technically it is. And here's why with the synopsis. So in a dystopian future, hundreds of small gangs claim territory around the city of New York, each with their own aesthetic and philosophies. When a visionary leader named Cyrus calls all of the gangs to a peaceful meeting in an attempt to organize themselves against the city's police, Cyrus is shot dead and chaos erupts. In the middle of this are the Warriors, a small gang from Coney Island, who are blamed for Cyrus's death. Now they must return home with each gang in the city after their heads. Fuck yeah, Warriors. that's a great synopsis. Oh, I was gonna say, <laughs> Warriors come out to play. Oh, we're getting to that. We're getting to that. Okay. Oh, sorry, already. Spoiler. Already. No, <laughs> So this was written originally in a novel by Saul Urich, which, um, you know, going through many interviews with Walter Hill and, and the cast and crew and, and talking about the adaptation process, there's a big difference between the novel and the, and the film. I aspire to read the novel one day. I haven't read it yet, but um, just hearing them talk about it, it, the film diverges in a lot of ways, but both are really connected to a very famous, well-known story called The Odyssey. And so both of those drawing inspiration from the Odyssey, I think this part of what makes this film special and what feels so universal about this film, you know, it's, this film feels like good literature in that way. Like it, it's so closely tied to one of the most influential stories of all time. Um, really phenomenal. Uh, but the script was written in collaboration with David Shaber and Walter Hill. For the cast, we have Michael Beck in our lead here as Swan. James Remar as Ajax. Everybody, I mean, I don't know a character, I don't know a person who doesn't think Ajax is like one of the most, you know, spectacular standout roles in this. James Remar in this really is incredible. See this just for James Remar because uh, even though you hate him in the film, I mean, great acting really takes his character. We also have Dorsey Wright, Deborah von Valkenburg, and David Patrick Kelly. So, David Patrick Kelly, some people might know him from one of our favorite series. Twin Peaks. Who is he? He plays um the he plays Audrey's dad, uh Benjamin Horn. Oh. He plays okay. his brother. Mm -hmm. You remember now? No. Remember his brother, <laughs> the blonde the blonde haired guy? Kind of kooky. No, no. But I am I am rewatching it right now. So I have to. I will Yeah, you'll catch that. it. I don't because I don't I know I don't <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah david patrick kelly so those are two things i know him this one though is what cemented him in Colt's legacy and i'll get to that in a sec so the way this film opens one of my favorite credit openings in any film we have a really awesome montage of a train and first thing we see is coney island all lit up the ferris wheel is this bright neon colors and talking about aesthetic influences i think so many films have been influenced by this film and by walter hill's nighttime aesthetics i mean talking about you know with the driver and how influential was as well as that was this film equally was influential on so many nighttime like future neo-noirs that you know it's just you see it and you recognize it and you say wow like that this is looks so original here and with barry devorzan's score and with the great editing 
and the pacing. This opening just gets you so in the mood for the film. And it's an excellent way to actually give context to what would be the gang meetup in New York with Cyrus. Uh, you have all the warriors kind of meet up in their own individual like groups. So like two of them will be standing together, having a conversation, talking about the meetup. And it's just, it's awesome. It, it is just really sets the mood. I love it. And talking about culturally and aesthetically significant costume design, every single gang has their own unique look and it is eye-catching and it is so you know it's just so much to dig into with the characters one of my favorites the baseball furies is a gang of guys who wear overalls and baseball tees and run around on i mean well let's say roll around on roller skates with bats and they beat each other up like that's tight with bats like that is so creative so all these different you know gangs have their own little you know aesthetic or their own little like influence from other popular culture things that's just so awesome and then we have two iconic lines the first one warriors come out to play warriors come out to play And then the second one for all you Laker fans out there, Shaquille O'Neal, 2001 parade, Lakers championship parade, this one. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? So yeah, I mean, that's just the influence of those lines on the culture is still felt to this day. And composition and style of Walter Hill. I mean, we admire the hell out of this guy. Need I say more? Uh, you'll definitely recognize his tendencies across this film. Great fight scenes, the physical details of the shots, you know, really outlining silhouettes and people in this nighttime scape. Beautiful. And unfortunately, this film is was not as celebrated as it was at its release as it is today uh, as a terrible box office and the reason why is because many people were actually scared to go attend this film to see this film in the theaters because they were scared of riots breaking out in the theaters people causing trouble you know gangs showing up and, and having turf wars and if you're talking about the spirit of punk i think both you know in a metal way and also just Having this film be about the gangs in New York and that that punk aesthetic is really quite fitting, at least perfectly for going against the establishment here. So in conclusion, this is a true cult classic that is as celebrated today as it should be. Fortunately, it wasn't when it was released. It's an action and a road film that avoids cliche and divulges in total originality, thanks in part to Walter Hill and crew. And the perfect cast realizes these characters. Aesthetics of film today, I think, owe a lot to this film. So go see it. It's streaming on Hulu and HBO Max. Alrighty. And my last film of the day, uh, which concludes my disillusioned uh, youth trifecta, it seems, is um, we have Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, released in 1982, directed by Lou Adler. You're fired. I need the money. Corinne Burns, what are you going to do? 
My name is not Corinne Burns. Oh, what is it? It's third degree Burns. I'm the lead singer and manager for the Stains. It has become clear to several thousand very young women, inspired by an unreported rock and roll band with see-through blouses and white stripes in their hair, that life is to be lived right now. You are gonna be really good. Can't explain it. really amounts to is girl dropouts who are using the media. She said things that I've always wanted to say, and I haven't been able to. We're the stains, and we don't put out. We weren't like that, were we, Brenda? No, we weren't. You are moving so fast. You're happening so fast. You can't afford to be loyal to this guy. Why are you still hanging around here? Why don't you just go back to wherever it was you came from? You've got a lot to learn, you little... Yeah, I want to see the world Pictures presents a Lou Adler movie. Ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, starring Diane Lane. Pretty cool title. You heard about this one? No, but I looked it up. Oh. I, I don't hear about most of yours. <laughs> well, this you know, this one appeared on a lot of like punk lists though. Like mm. punk film list when I looked when I looked up you know took an idea for movies this one seemed to be on there yeah but um yeah I actually I have seen this one before but I realized it didn't it didn't hold up as I wanted it to mm. yeah um alrighty so uh let, let's go into the synopsis of the film so we have uh Corinne Burns so she's a recently orphaned teenage girl living in a nowhere town. Who, can, who catches the punk band The Looters and she becomes bewitched by the whole punk scene. So she and her fledging band, The Stains, go, uh, join the tour and in no time at all become media magnets. The band forms a rabid following of young girls while Corinne begins a relationship with Looters singer, Billy. But as The Stains get bigger and bigger, however, Corinne's ambition gets the better of her. Dun, dun, dun. dun. Yeah. Oh, it's a downfall for fame. <laughs> so um, this movie actually has a killer cast. Um, not a whole lot, just a few of them, but just a few are big names. Um, so we have Diane, the ever wonderful Diane Lane in one of her really early roles, I believe. Um, mm. So she is Corin Burns. She is the lead singer of The Stains here and she is punk as fuck. That's tight. Yeah. Um, you said you looked up the movie, Eric? I did. Did you see what she looked like? Totally different. <laughs> you saw what she looked like, though, right? Like the hair, the makeup kind of thing? Vaguely. If you asked Vaguely. me to recall details, but I know she looked distinctly different from the Diane um, Lane that most of us know. Yeah. So, yeah, this movie, um, 
I guess upon researching for like, you know what punk films talk about for this episode. Um, this one keep this one kept popping up on like a lot of punk film lists. Um, a lot of people. I think Thurston Moore, his like mm. top ten like uh, punk films. I think on like BFI, he mentioned that I think number one he mentioned this film. Now I I've seen this film years ago and <laughs> okay. Maybe I will go into that. So I saw this film years ago, probably, I don't know, early 20s or whatever. So probably like the same vibe as like Corin Burns here, you know, a little angsty. I wasn't a teenager anymore. I was like in my early 20s, but still very much in that element of like angsty and wanted to have fun, fun, fun. So I remember um, it was Halloween one year. And just to give an idea how like, I guess this movie was influential to me at the time, but I was telling Eric that this movie upon rewatching it didn't really hold up as well for me. But uh, in my early 20s, when I saw this film, it was a Halloween party one time. And I was like, who could I be for Halloween? So I actually dressed up as Corinne Burns. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So um, for listeners, look up what Corinne Burns looks like as the, as the Stains lead singer. Um, I'll, maybe I'll just go into that, how she looks. Let's describe her look because this is pretty quintessential punk. This is her very punk look. So in the movie, uh, Corinne, she starts off with like baby brown hair. It's like baby, baby blonde, brownish hair. It's like really light. But then she, she dyes her hair black with like a skunk-like blonde streaks on the side. Then she puts on red shadow, like bold, bold red shadow. And she puts on like this jet black eyeliner. And she wears a sheer blouse, bikini bottoms, and fishnet stockings. So this is her look that she's like rocking in this movie. Um, so yeah, I did wear that for Halloween one time. I wish I still had those pictures, but that was my ode to the stains here. <laughs> my little punk, punk rebellious look. Um, punk as fuck. Punk as fuck. And it, it goes back to self-expression, right? So this was her way in the movie of like looking as she felt, right? She wanted to express herself. So, um, but yeah, like this movie with the, with the punk theme we're going with, uh, Question Authority. So Corinne Burns, she's like this very self-aware teen who's just really angry about her surroundings and not being taken seriously and, and also being made an accessory. She's really angry at all this stuff. Um, but she's also like, she's self-aware. She's also very smart. She uses the media, like i.e. the television to really funnel that anger into getting her message out there into other young minds such as herself. Um, so because she has this very extreme look um, and you know, she gets a lot of turning heads looking at her and she has the message of the media and these journalists they put out her message you know on the tv you know young girls are looking at tv um who are in similar you know like boat as corinne you know just like sick of the authority right sick of parents and the way that things are and so they start dressing like corinne you know and that's their that's their like <laughs> this predates the riot girl movement but it's like you know that's their like riot girl you know movement that's their that's the way that they can self-express themselves kind of thing so but yeah throughout the film um because she uses the media so it's funny because the movie goes back and forth with scenes with the this male journalist talking to this female journalist so which with with with, uh, sorry, which have very different views on how Corinne is. So the male journalist, he focuses on Corinne's antisocial attitude and, and the band's like lack of talent. But the female journalist, like she understands Corinne's rants as like a call for like female empowerment. And she hails the, the stains as like a new voice of feminism. 
so yeah I like that like contrasting um like view on these two journalists um but yeah the music um so you know once again we have another one revolving around a punk band like Times Square so I like to think these movies are really very similar so we have like Times Square and then we have um the fabulous stains so but yeah once again they're both starting punk bands so Corinne's punk band uh the stains this is her form of self-expression you know she sings she sings about not like this comes up throughout the movie like she's like oh yeah I'm perfect because I don't put out she keeps like saying that like she doesn't put out so yeah you could say like okay this has to do with like you know feminism and punk rock um and upon researching like this movie was very influential to members of Bikini Kill and Bratmobile so I thought that was very cool but yeah I would say that this movie yeah it definitely is you know, we talk about the riot girl and just feminism and punk rock. This this movie is that. But I don't know. I do have to say this this film does feel like it lacks a soul. Whereas mm. I feel like with Times Square, like, like it has like a I don't know, it has such a soul to it. You know, you could tell like Eric, you know, like sometimes yeah. like the heartbeat of a movie. Yeah. This movie, this movie felt very conflicted, like in a lot of ways. And normally, like, what do we talk that up to? probably like a, a bad script or like complications on set right or the influence it could be money. a lot of things influence True. money establishment mm. <laughs> yeah yep. so upon researching actually i found out that there was a dilemma with the screenwriter and director oh, um yeah drama. so yeah we have the writer nancy dowd and then we have lou adler um these two clashed from like the beginning and it only got worse when it came to the ending. So this the ending of the film caused them to collide. And Nancy Dowd, like, she basically walked off set, was like, I'm not a part of this film. So basically the movie, if you look it up, it has her name under a pseudonym. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like Robert Morton or something like that. It's oh, very, geez. it's, I know, it's like total, like, just, just I know. forget about the screenwriter, yeah. Forget about Nancy Dowd, never participated on this film. So mm. that was... That was really sad to to read that. But yeah, with the with the dilemma, I guess the true ending of the film was supposed to be that like Corinne was supposed to be like very influential, I guess in the UK or something like that. A lot of girls were, you know, dressing uh, as she normally does. Uh, but there's this ending that feels I'm not gonna say what the ending I'll like, I don't want to give it away for you guys if you want to check this movie out, but the ending feels very weird and very tacked on. Um, also, I do want to briefly mention this because this is something I just noticed with, with films that are very much, so this movie was written by a woman, it's written by Nancy Dowd, but it's, it's directed by Lou Adler. Uh, I noticed this with Little Darlings too. There's movies where, yes, it's written by a woman, directed by a man, not saying every movie is like this, but in this specific, movie about young girls there's oddly very uncomfortable shots like close-up shots on like the young girls like breasts and like it's just it's uncomfortable it's so not necessary um there's also this weird sexual scene between Corinne and Billy it made me gag I was like this did not need to be here like clearly they needed that sex scene to fill the quota and I was the like the one thing that the script writer was probably complaining about <laughs> yeah. got kicked off for yeah yeah this so, those types of scenes i hate stuff like that because you know that this was obviously intended for like you know the male gaze type of deal when clearly 
this movie could have done without it. It did not need it um, because this movie is pretty kick-ass. Had it maybe, you know, with the with the other elements it has. So aside from those icky moments, like just disregard those, but watch this movie for other things because Diane Lane is great here and her performance really keeps this movie going. Um, but like I said, it's closely tied to Times Square. So, but if, if you really want a more authentic movie about disillusioned teens, I do recommend maybe checking that one out first and then coming back to this one. Um, but yeah, I did watch this movie through YouTube. I rented it there, so go check it out. So to recap my films today on this episode, we have, what do we have? We have SLC Punk, The Warriors. Oh, I'm going out no, of Oh, you order. missed one. I know. And well, saving the best Suburban. for last, maybe? Suburbia. Yeah. Okay, oh. there we go. <laughs> a little switcheroo there. All right, so to recap my films of the day, I have Times Square, Over the Edge, and ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. Question: the number, the little gold question of the episode, Marissa. Mm -hmm. Is it punk to talk about punk in film? No. <laughs> and that's our episode. We're, Tune in we're next posers. time. Yeah. So. <laughs> According to the philosophies of punk that we discussed today in these films and also in our research about punk as a genre and as a community and as a philosophy, Marissa and I are posers. posers. And we it's, gladly accept the title. It's been determined. Case closed. <laughs> but since we are posers and we accept uh -huh. the title and we yeah. own the title, yeah, we're back to punk. Boom! <laughs> Actually, I like to think that I'm still punk as fuck. Hell yeah. Nah, that's, a, that's something a poser would say. <laughs> oh my <Anyways>. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, I swear that I like to think when I was like in my 20s where I talked about, you know, donning the, the fabulous Steens outfit. Oh yeah, I, th I thought I was hot shit. I really mm. did. I just thought, you know, with a little leather jacket, faux leather jacket. <laughs> not even real leather jacket Sheesh. faux leather jacket i thought it was hot shit i was like yeah i'm punk i don't give a fuck in this world um so yeah you know maybe maybe everyone kind of goes through that little phase and whatnot you said it's a fleeting moment right Eric? it's a fleeting moment i'm gonna go back to what steve-o says in slc punk god damn it we are all posers and <laughs> yes we all are because i do think it's a temporal thing to be punk you know and um conversation that i had with my sister who we talk about the punk world every now and then uh mm -hmm. she made a good point and i'll credit her for this if you look at all the uh, punk rock dudes and and gals of the eras they're not punk anymore they all live in houses and they all live in <laughs> suburbia on a mountain they're sellouts and they're dads yes they're yeah. sellouts because to punk you may be born but to poser you will become and that's the truth ruth little i'm gonna spike um <laughs> spike jones uh yeah there poser okay <laughs> can you get the right spike i know you just kind of spiegel you, you flipped Anyways, you continue. flipped um i'll argue that i'll i'll say that you know what um because i think that it was his birthday today uh he did pass um fucking mca from bc mm, boys yeah that guy seriously like punk punk until he died 
Mm -hmm. um and I only say that because you know what, like carrying carrying like the ethos. I don't I don't believe that everyone are sellouts. No, 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 that's like a little too harsh. I, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're saying, I know, but like I don't I don't I don't want to say that for like oh, okay, they are they're all sellouts, you know. I believe that like you can keep the spirit of punk alive. I think like MCA was like a good uh you know that he started that uh that what is it, that label? Uh os oh god, it's a weird label, oscillo, oscilloscope 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 laboratories i mean how punk is that you started like a boutique label you know and that label is like pretty awesome and stuff like that so stuff like that even boutique labels like that you know that's punk as fuck to me Hell it's yeah. very diy we talk about diy so mm -hmm. i love little things like that kathleen hannah from bikini kill she's not a sellout you know she's very much punk as fuck right girl all the way um yeah once again like i i I went through a little like riot girl phase too. And I think, you know, it, you, you always kind of keep that inside of you. Sure. There's parts probably that will parts of you that will be a sellout, you know, but I like to think, you know, in many regards, I still have this very much damn the man, <laughs> like uh, ethos inside of me, that spirit, you know, that keeps me alive type of deal. That's like, you know, fuck the establishment at living within the establishment. And, you know, I, I think we all are hypocrites but if you still have your guiding light like that's my guiding light right there you know i know the establishment sucks i'm i still live within the establishment so yeah i just had to throw that in there well as long as you are on the margins and you are against the institutions of power and influence that crushes the punk scene well mm -hmm. then i guess you really are punk we're just pro we're proving our punkness yeah <laughs> this <laughs> How, is like not punk that is but yeah <laughs> this is the existential conversation that slc punk was going for see sparking conversation um but going back to mca uh yes oh man there's some people that are just until they die that just punk you know and i do think that people you know i guess if you want to get metaphysical about it there's definitely that concept of burnout you know and 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 punk punk burns you out and you literally burn out and die and you'll say punk forever you know you're kind of immortalized mm -hmm. in the punk world of course who i'm talking about mostly is sid vicious i mean um you know it really went to the extreme the last moments of his life but mm -hmm. is he the first thing that most people think of when they think of punk probably one of the first so you know is he immortalized I would say uh, UK punk, but I would say if we're talking about uh, US punk, I would say the Ramones. Oh, the Ramones. How can you That's not? How can one. you miss the Ramones? <laughs> oh, I didn't miss them. I was just first thing that came oh, okay, to mind okay. was like Sid Vicious, but Sid you Vicious. got a good one there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only because I only say that because an article that I found kind of broke it broke it down to that because I was like you're right i always think of like sex pistols and vicious but like we're, that's what we're referring to like uk punk which i noticed that none of us today right we referred to any we didn't do any uk punk right oh Eric? it's we interesting didn't. yeah yeah i i almost did i almost was gonna do sid and nancy oh so yeah. you know mentioning some notable mentions i do want to like we have to bring up sid and nancy i have i did see that like years ago um by alec alex cox um yeah, like a, a punk director very much. But um, I decided not to go that route because I liked what I had going on, talking about like disillusioned youth and coming at it with more of a coming of age aspect. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, Sid and Nancy, um, UK punk for sure. So there we go. Yeah. yeah. And it's fun when you start getting into different scenes of punk, like maybe from different areas. 
I know mm-hmm. we stick strictly, you know, kind of American West, you know, this side of the pond yeah. kind of thing, but mm-hmm. um, there's punk everywhere, you know? I mean, one of the things that's not really necessarily a punk film by any means, but has some punk energy to it mm-hmm. that's from a totally different, you know, opposite side of the world. We're talking the Middle East is uh, Persepolis. Oh, Have you yeah. Ever seen that? Oh, that's that movie's for sure punk as fuck. And so is the graphic novel. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I agree. World, world of exploration and punk, like literally, literally a world of exploration and punk. And when you start mm-hmm. getting into those other scenes, because that's the that is the universal aspect of punk that shows that it's not just a passing fad or it's not just you know like one of the movements like maybe you can consider like new wave was or you know other movements and and you know mm-hmm. in culture but it's because it's got an actual real tangent philosophy a real a real you know purpose mm-hmm. you know a, a a one that impacts the lives of, of the people that you know in, are influenced by it so it's, it's pretty awesome once you start expanding the horizons to that far so yeah no i agree um no it's a good one persepolis uh mm, not one that, that would like come oh yeah yeah not one that would like come to mind like oh punk films was very much punk um yeah. and the graphic novel um but you brought to mind actually asking about another graphic novel ghost world mm. um mm-hmm. ghost world and even the movie um i believe yeah those two also speak to me as like very punk in the punk spirit Mm-hmm. And once again, what do all these things have in common? This brings us back to our original point, I believe, to self-expression. Mm. You know, like uh, in Persepolis, um, I forgot I forgot the young girl's name, but um, well, it's obviously, wasn't it Mar- Marjane? Marjane, yeah, Marjane. Marjane. Okay, Marjane, yeah. That uh, she lives in a very oppressed society. So her means of expressing herself the way she sees fit is through punk music you know and and dressing the way she wants listening to music the way she wants and all these are like punk 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 and ghost world is the same thing uh enid uh she is very much just such an outcast in this society because it's so sub- she lives in such a suburb area you know talking about the suburbs you know like over the edge like these places where you know you can't express yourself because it's not it's not wanted you know you're you're outside you're you're casted out but yeah I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this but like self-expression is just I think a beautiful thing and I think a lot of people really try to suppress that and it's unfortunate if you like what you heard today please subscribe and leave us a review you can also find us on social media our handle is at film chatter pod we will leave our links also in the show notes thanks for tuning in we'll see you next time see ya